Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. Welcome to Brewing After Hours. I'm your host, Sarah Flora. So we're talking about homebrew clubs and the legality of homebrewing in general today. So homebrewing has been around since beer has been around. Traditionally, beer was made in the home like most other food items. And as most of you know, the United States has a bit of a strange history with alcohol. Hello, Prohibition. Prohibition was also known as the Noble Experiment, which I think... That is debatable. And it began as an effort to reduce crime and pretty much fix every problem in society. This makes the phrase, a cure-all cures nothing, come to mind. Though, in the beginning, prohibition did reduce the amount of alcohol being consumed through good old supply and demand economics. It raised the amount of other potentially more dangerous substances being consumed such as patent medicines that contained morphine and cocaine. In the end, Prohibition may have actually made alcohol more accessible because there were more hidden speakeasies in some places than there were bars previously. With the prohibition of alcohol obviously came a prohibition of homebrewing. It would have been completely defeating the purpose if they had only banned commercial breweries from making beer, obviously. Of course, a ban doesn't mean people stopped making beer. Some breweries sold off supplies to homebrewers, and there were even extract kits being made around the year 1900. Most people didn't love the homebrew that was being produced during Prohibition, so once alcohol was legal again, they switched back to commercial varieties. If you think about the typical homebrewer in the 1920s, they probably had very little guidance on how to brew properly, and also probably didn't even own a refrigerator. So you can imagine that there was probably a good deal of off flavors in their brews. Now, at the end of Prohibition, even though alcohol was allowed again, that doesn't mean homebrewing became legal again. For 46 years after Prohibition ended, homebrewing was federally illegal. Fortunately, in 1976, a group of homebrewers in California lobbied Senator Alan Cranston to push forward federal legislation to legalize it. It wasn't that easy, though. They tried twice and failed, and finally got it on a Jimmy Carter's desk by including it in a transportation bill. This made Jimmy Carter a bit of a homebrewing hero, even though he was known to seldom imbibe and preferred a white wine over a glass of beer. If you think that in 1978, when H.R. 1337 was signed into law, that everyone in the U.S. was suddenly allowed to homebrew, you would be wrong. Each state had to also decide to legalize homebrew. This is the problem with the United States sometimes. There's a lot of bureaucracy. 
The last two holdouts in the country were Mississippi and Alabama, who legalized homebrewing in 2013. For homebrewers, it seems prohibition lasted 93 years instead of the 13 it lasted for commercial brewers. Fortunately, we are a tenacious bunch who will fight for the hobby. Now let's chat with the president and co-founder of the SoCal Serviceros and owner of Norwalk Brewhouse, Ray Ricky Rivera. member of the Los Angeles Homebrew Club, SoCal Serviceros, for I think three years now. And I can vouch it is one of the best homebrew clubs you will ever find. Though it's a Latino homebrew club and it's the largest Latino homebrew club in the United States, the group has been so welcoming of female homebrewers of all races. And Ray himself is the one who got me into this club and was like messaging me on Instagram. <laughs> and they, we've even created a female-focused group within the group called the Cerveceras, and it has been such a valuable resource to learn and connect with the homebrew community here in LA. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, Ray. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a fan of the podcast, so I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. So we have to start from the beginning. How did SoCal Cerveceras start and become the size it is today? Sure. Well, in the beginning, we were really small. Um, it really started just a couple guys, myself and Augustine from Brujeria Company. Uh, I was on Facebook one day and I just posted, hey, anybody I know homebrew? And he was, the, I didn't even know we were Facebook friends. And he replied and was like, hey, what's up, dude? How, you know, I'm, I'm a homebrewer. I've been at it for several years. What do you need? So from that reply, we started this kind of Facebook friendship over homebrewing. Uh, I was really new to it. This is in 2014. I started on one gallon stovetop uh, batches and I didn't know anybody, uh, none of my friends, none of my family, no, nobody homebrewed. And you know, you, you've been there, you, you go online and you Google things, questions regarding homebrew and you're just, there's a ton of things to read and to find. And so it was, it was a lot to take in. So uh, he and I struck up this uh, conversation, which resulted in this kind of homebrew friendship. And one thing led to another and it was like, hey, you want to start a club? <laughs> and he was interested and he happened to have uh, um, some friends that he, he already homebrewed with. And so he went back to his friends and um, I think there was like, I don't know, he knew maybe three or four people. And we got together one night and there was a total of seven of us just brand new to each other, you know, just hanging out, sharing homebrew, um, just really getting to know each other. And from that, um, from that moment on, word started to circulate. We started to meet regularly every third Friday of the month. And, you know, li little by little, the club started to grow. We started to get uh, more members. Uh, it was like seven. And then I think it went to like nine. And then a few months later, we were 12. And today we're at 250. And, uh, oh, you wanted to know how we got to the size we are. So as you mentioned, um, us being a Latino club, in the beginning, we, we definitely were 100% Latino, all dudes. And uh, we soon realized that like, it's, it's cool to, to be Latino, uh, a, a Latino club, because for one, it didn't exist like anywhere we looked, Southern California, Central, Northern Cali, there was no club that was fully Latino focused. And as we started to, to search wider and further, nothing in the Midwest, nothing in the East, on the East Coast. 
And so it was it was kind of shocking to think that in 2015, we were the only Latino homebrew club around. Uh, and that's not to say there wasn't other Latino homebrewers, because in Southern California, now we know there's so many. Um, so we started off seven guys, nine, 12. And then we were like, man, there's got to be some women out here, some Latinas that homebrew as well. Um, sure enough, they there there are and there were. And it, it took a little while for a um, for us to find any, only because you know people would come to the to the meetings early on, and they'd see a bunch of dudes drinking, a bunch of random dudes, and so I think that kind of turned some some women off. And you know, of course, like who wants to be drinking with a bunch of random dudes you, you don't know? Uh, so um, what what really helped us on what really helped us early on to grow our um, women membership was that we started to see uh, men show up with their like girlfriend or wife and, and uh, they were interested. And so what we did was we're like, okay, if we're seeing a lot of couples come, whether it be a man and wife or or wife and wife or what have you, we are like, let's offer a, a couple's membership option, you know, and, 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 and open it up to not just like, you know, man and wife or, or, or brother, sister, whatever. Let's try to, you know, recruit more people that way. So we noticed that really helped us out a lot. So there was a, the, in the beginning, in the beginning, when we started to uh, recruit more women or try to recruit, recruit more women, when we opened it up to uh, couples, that helped us out big time. So it's funny because early on, you'd see, let's say, you know, somebody brought their, their wife just because their wife was like, you know, su- supporting their husband and checking out where, you know, what's this club you're going to? And they're just there to hang out. And then, you know, a few months later, they're brewing, they're now a brewer and they're all up in, in the meeting and hanging out and having a great time. So um, that really helped us. And once there was about, I don't know, maybe six, seven women brewers, we started to get like, not just just women who were there supporting their their whatever girlfriend boyfriend or what have you but legit brewers like yourself we started to find more people and and just as as we started to 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 exist longer we started to meet more people and then you know the more actual avid brewers that came to us and they brought their friends and it just started to kind of snowball yeah i actually can personally say that the couple's membership helped me out because i joined as a couple with my work wife It's 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 cool to see like when we were really new, we were new to everything, like new to home brewing, new to being a club, new to this whole scene of home brewers in in Los Angeles. Again, there was nothing like that here in terms of being a, a, a quote unquote Latino focused uh, homebrew club. Early on, there wasn't like any of our members winning homebrew comps or getting write ups in the LA Times or things like that. And now I see you know. People like you who have like this massive following on Instagram, social media, you've got your podcast, you are like a spokesperson for various brands. We have multiple homebrewers winning awards and all the competitions that are out there. And many of them are, are uh, women brewers and they hold their own. And now the SoCal Cervecetas exists. And I'm super excited about that. It's like a, a club within a club. They do brew days with breweries and they do their own benefits and things like that and have their own... Um, just cool things going on. So uh, it's been great to see everybody within the club growing and learning and just doing a bunch of cool shit, really. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, some of the serviceros also have a podcast. It's uh, Brewed Up, Brewed Up with uh, Lori and Tyler. Yeah, Lori and Tyler are two of my besties in the club. 
So check out their podcast as well. They're awesome homebrewers. I just want to mention uh, Lori, Lorianne Gutierrez. Shout out to Lori. She is the vice president of the SoCal Cerveceros. She now holds the, the distinction of being the first uh, woman VP of the club. Uh, I think that's cool. And Tyler is our director of memberships. And they're both doing a great job as board members, uh, helping to lead and grow the club. I, I can praise them all day. You know, they're they're great brewers. They're great women. They're great people. They're great friends. And uh, yeah, check out their podcast, Brewed Up. Yeah, seriously. If you guys think I do a lot, like these women like outpace me, like it's no one's business. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about my favorite part of being a SoCal Cervero. Uh the festivals because we can put on a festival like it's no one's business. The most notable festival that we do is called Cold Cella at C-O-L-D-X-E-L-L-A, not to be confused with a music festival. So the Homebrew Fest is legendary. In some case, listeners may not be familiar with the festival. Can you give us a glimpse into why it's such a great event and a little bit about the name? So Cold Shella, for as much praise and kind of regional fame it has, it actually hasn't even been around that long. We launched it in 2018. We we had this this big thing planned. At least we tried to have this big thing planned. We had this venue booked in South Los Angeles. And like two weeks leading up to the festival, we get a call from the venue saying that it wasn't going to be ready for us to come and they weren't going to host us because they were doing some construction work. So we had to scramble and find a whole different venue two weeks out. We ended up at a place in East Los Angeles. And this place was just basically a large parking lot behind a, a building. And so we had to squeeze into this kind of like, it's like, it was like two spaces split in half with a fence with a, where you can walk uh, between the two sides. And we fit in 20 home brewers, a stage that had uh, two bands, I think two or three DJs and, and, a, and a handful of food vendors. Anyway, when, when it was time to open, we had a line down the street. We hit max capacity at 400, 400 people, which I mean, that doesn't sound like a huge festival, but this was like the very first one. And we did not anticipate it selling out so fast. There was press there. We got a lot of great reviews and we were like, this, this is freaking awesome. Like it, it was just a great time. You know, it was probably about 85 to 90% Latino from the brewers pouring to the bands performing to the food that was being served. And everybody that was involved on, on the beer side was from the club. Right off the bat, it was clear that this this was different. And I'm, I'm sure you've been to other other festivals. And I'm sorry, I just took a swig of beer. I'm drinking uh, the collab I did with Eagle Rock. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called Love Fights Back. Guava Mango Blondale we did. Okay, so back back to Coachella, this first Coachella. We we do this thing, um, 20 brewers, two live bands, DJs, food, it sells out, uh, great response. Um, everybody there was super cool. And and I think what what made it just a little bit different was many people that came to this festival were were new to craft beer fest in general. Um, there's a lot of people that that follow us on social media, like like there's so many. There's so many uh, members within the club and they all have their own uh, following on their so social media. And so they're, they're, they do a really great job of getting the word out. And so people came and I think, you know, 
for the most part, people didn't know what to expect. And you get here and you see all these like people of color and you're just like, holy shit, like I didn't even know this existed. So I think that had a lot to do with it. It was the people that were attending the festival were new to this whole craft beer movement, if you will. And so that went off really, really well. Now in 2019, there was a huge buzz and we got like press leading up to it. And this time we were at a venue in downtown and this is really the one that set us apart. The one that everybody remembers and everybody talks about. We, we basically more than tripled the size of the one in 2018. So we had 52 home brewers. We had a massive stage with like five acts, you know, hip hop act, a live band, a reggae band, a ska band. We had like five DJs on stage and we had, several food vendors. We sold out the event at 1,500 max capacity people. For us, that was just from 400 to 1,500. That's massive. And again, you know, we, we had a really great uh, response from, from media, both uh, print and digital. Uh, there was a lot of press there. And uh, I think, I think uh, we do a great job with getting the word out and, and getting people to cover us. And so... Um, that, that, that really, really helps us out. This one, again, what sets us apart is like, you don't, you don't roll up and see a bunch of dudes. And it's not this environment where you have to be afraid. You have to watch your back. Like everybody's super cool. All the brewers are chill. The beer is good. The brewers bring their A game. There's so much great beer being poured. You were there. You, you pour, I think you poured your uh, cherry Saison. Cherry Saison. And I just remade it. It's my second beer I've made this year. I just finished. That beer gets talked about so much. And it's, it's, it's a fan favorite. And I know uh, you've, you've won a couple awards for that one, right? I think I've won like a couple bronze or something. It's always like the random beers that I win like good awards. <laughs> it's like the cherry season is just like everyone likes it for some reason. It's so easy to drink and it's so, so high alcohol. Let me tell you. That cold cella, I was like deathly ill. I like had a sinus infection. I, I'm pretty sure I was running a fever. The only thing that was keeping me going was that 9% beer. I swear, I drank so much. It was crazy because we thought, like we, we went to see this venue when it was empty. And we're standing there in this massive grassy area and it's open, like this enclosed kind of courtyard, but it's outside, it's open. And we're like, this is perfect for us. And it's huge. And then comes comes the day to set up and we start loading everybody in and we're laying there you know putting everybody in their place and the spacious the space just starts to shrink and we're like oh my god it's not as big as we thought it was but we still managed to fit 1500 people but right away it, we were already bigger than the space to answer your question a little bit more why i think what i think sets us apart and why it's so different is that because the festival is really diverse you know, you mentioned earlier that, that we were a, a the largest Latino group. Well, I don't think we are the largest Latino group anymore. We've kind of morphed. And now we're just like a very diverse club. You know, we're, we're people of color and whether it be um, Asian, Black, Latino or white, we're, we're a pretty mixed crowd now. And so I don't know if we could continue to call ourselves the largest Latino anything you know, when we were when we were just seven, we were the largest Latino club in the in the country. But now, you know, I I think we're as far as women membership, we're in somewhere in the forty percent range, maybe. So uh, that that's a pretty high number compared to other clubs. When you go into one of these homebrew festivals, it is so 
surprising to me, at least, how many women there are. Yeah, so I, I think for somebody who, uh, who goes to Beer Fest, there's not a lot of diversity in terms of the uh, programming, in terms of the production of Beer Fest in general, right? You go, there's going to be some rock music probably, and there's going to be a bunch of dudes, and the beer is always great, of course. Um, but you come here and you're seeing different types of people, different kinds of people. Um, the beers might be a little bit crazier, a little bit more ex- experimental, if you will. And, you know, we we try our best to really make Coachella be something different. Yes, of course, you know, every beer festival has beer. There's live music and there's food like that. That's all the same wherever you go. But it's like, what types of food are you is is there? What kind of music are you going to be listening to? You know, where are the brewers from? What do they look like? What do they make? And so when you come to Coachella, again, it's just this mix, this diverse event that people are not really used to. And and I feel it 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 closely represents what LA is. Uh, LA is such a diverse place. We have people from all over the world. And even though we are a pretty diverse club, I still think we have a lot, a, a, a long way to go. Because um, there's just so many different people out there. And, and I know... There's got to be a home brewer from like every single culture, probably in Los Angeles, at least that could join our club and pour at Coachella. But, but back real quick before I forget the story of the name. So in 2018, we were calling it Cold Chela and it was spelled cold and Chela was C-H-E-L-A. And for anybody who's, who doesn't know, Chela is Spanish slang for beer. So it's basically cold beer festival, Cold Chela. And so we started promoting this. And again, like, as I mentioned, we were getting really good press. Um, people were covering the event. Oh, you know, SoCal Set of Settles is coming. It was in the LA Times and, and LA Taco covered it. It got the attention of the Coachella Music Festival in Coachella, right? You, that's like the, one of the biggest festivals in the country. And so they sent us a cease and desist letter, um, their lawyers. And it said basically that we were infringing on their name, Coachella Music Festival name, which is really absurd because for one, we weren't, well, we weren't purposely trying to mislead the public to think that there was a connection there. And two, our Coachella event is a benefit. It's a fundraiser for a nonprofit called Gumball Foundation. And what Gumball does is they mentor middle school and high school students help them start micro ventures, raise and save money for their college tuition. So they're there every step of the way, help them get into college. And um, that's what they do. So that's why we put this festival together, not only to showcase our members and their beer, but to help raise funds for this awesome foundation. And so uh, we were kind of upset that this giant multi-million dollar money-making festival would send us a cease and desist. And we thought the name Cold Cella was just genius. We were really bummed because well, for one, we 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 didn't want to change the name. We were, you know, let's let's fight it, but we can't, you know, we they have so much money. We we couldn't go to court with it. And we just thought, you know what, instead of like wasting time going back and forth, let's just be productive here, move forward and figure it out. So we decided we didn't have to completely change the name. We could change the spelling and still have the same sound. So that X in Spanish produces the ch sound. And that's why it's spelled X-E-L-A. It still says Chela, so cold Chela. And um, we've been left alone ever since. 
it kind of worked in our favor given the X, you know, if you think about Latinx, which uh, now many people uh, use as a, as a way to, um, as a reference to being Latino. So we're like, hey, no, that works. That's cool. X. All right. Yeah. And it, it looks cool. looks dope. Sounds still sounds good. So that's how we got to cold Chela with an X. So homebrewing and being a part of groups like SoCal Serviceros offer those looking to break into the beer industry a chance to do so without necessarily formal schooling or professional mentorship. So can you share some of the ways that the club is providing educational experiences and opportunities for members like yourself who has opened their own brewery to pursue careers in craft beer? Real quick, I haven't opened a brewery. I don't have a physical brick and mortar yet. Just to clarify that, I'm set up as a contract brewing operation. So that's that. But I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that because I want to answer the, the other part of your question first. What's really cool about the SoCal Cerveceros is that we have so many members that we have the the uh, novice home brewer, the, you know, the, the person just thinking about home brewing who has maybe not even tried it yet, doesn't know where to begin, uh, all the way on up to like, commercial veteran seasoned brewer who's brewing on like a 30 barrel uh, brew house and then everything in between people working at 20 barrel level 10 2 3 what have you um, a lot of our members have like almost pro setups in their backyards it's crazy what that does is that that creates this just wealth of info so you can come to the SoCal service sales and you can talk to somebody who has actually opened a brewery or you can talk to somebody who's a head brewer of a commercial brewery or you can talk to somebody who's been homebrewing for several years and may just know a little bit more than you. And so it's a really great place to get your questions answered. It's like a homebrew forum in real life. It's just, it's a great, huge resource. And if you are considering going, if you are considering going into the commercial beer space and you don't know what to do, you can come here. And we can introduce you to somebody. You can talk to somebody, again, who's actually started a brewery. I think in the last two years, we had three commercial breweries open. There's two that are in the middle of their build-out right now. Uh, and then you got me, who's um, setting up as a contract brewing operation. Technically, I'm, I will be a beer wholesaler. So what that allows me to do is I have my own warehouse where I store product. I can go to any commercial brewery, buy beer from them, turn around and sell and distribute to retailers. Or I can have a brewery uh, produce and package my own branded beer, which is that's how I'm going to bring my beer to market. So I got my recipe. I got my branding. I'm going to partner with brewery friends of mine. They're going to brew to my recipe, my specs and what have you, and then package with all my branding and then I turn around and self-distribute. And um, the reason for that is opening up a brewery is, it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of capital. And for somebody like me, I don't want the headache. I don't want that kind of debt. I'm not really set up to, to take on that kind of debt. And so once I, I knew that brands contract brewed, but I didn't know how that actually happened. So I, so I spent about a year doing research, talking to people, working with people. And I learned, okay, first you have to have a location. A warehouse, then you got to get permission from the federal government. You got to get a permit Then you got to get permission from uh, the state level from California. So you get your permit from the feds and you get your license from California that allows you to distribute within the state. And you've got your uh, warehouse space leased. 
and then you're ready to go pretty much. You know, granted, you you started your business, you filed all that LLC or what have you, corporation. You you can go that route, or you can find a building, lease it out for five years, take two years, two and a half years to do your build out, and then wait just as long to get all your permitting. Then you got to hire a staff, you got to you know cut the concrete and redo the electrical and wait for your tanks to come in. I just knew that I wasn't down for that kind of undertaking. And also I'm, I'm a little different. Like I love to homebrew. It's, it's fun. It's a passion of mine, but I don't see myself running my own brew house day in and day out. I love thinking of recipes. I love naming beers. I love being creative. I love selling beer. I don't know that I want to be brewing 20 barrels of beer, you know, three times a week or whatever it may be. It has its pros and cons, right? Like you have a brewery and you have a tap room and you're selling directly to the consumers. You're making the most money there. That's like the, that's like the best way about it, right? But then of course, you know, you need so much capital to get to that point. Whereas somebody like you and I, maybe we have a, just a little bit of capital, but we can bring a beer to market and see how it does. And, you know, hopefully not go bankrupt and not, you know, lose, lose our house or whatever. And yeah, and for any, any homebrewers listening, Yes, I know a lot of homebrewers sell their beer. Just know it's risky. It is, in fact, illegal. And as the president of the SoCal Cerveceros, I am always having to remind people, even people that are not in the club, because I, you know, look, if you're a homebrewer and you do have dreams of opening up a brewery or a brew pub or contract brewing, you're going to put in so much time, so much effort, so much money to get to the point where you can actually sell beer, be licensed. You don't want to mess up any of that by selling your homebrew for a couple bucks. So far, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I, I had to figure out how this contract thing works. And it's technically, technically not called contract brewing, right? You're a wholesaler. Like that's what I'm going to be registered as, a beer and wine wholesaler who happens to contract brew. So now that I've figured out what it takes, what I need to do, um, I've, I've got a partner, another SoCal Cervecero. Uh, I, w- I won't mention him now, but uh, we're, we're not things. certain things are still, yes, yes. Well, some things are still under wraps. I can say that we've leased a warehouse space. So we're working through all of our uh, permits and licensing right now. Um, and so at some point this year, hopefully before the end of the year, we will be fully licensed to self-distribute. So that's exciting. So while, while I get all that stuff in order, I've been doing beer collaborations. I've been partnering with friends of mine like Brujeria Company in Pico Rivera, South Central Brewing Company, Eagle Rock Brewing Company. Um, I've got some more collabs in the works. I'm doing something with Hen House up in Santa Rosa, Slow Brew up in San Luis Obispo. What, what I've been doing is I've been putting together these beer projects where we leverage beer to raise money for a certain social cause that I feel I want Norwalk Brewhouse brand to support. Um, so it's part of my business plan. It's something that I want to continue to do. And at this, this point, now I'm not technically licensed to sell and distribute, but I can definitely organize these beer collabs. I, I, I hang out on brew day. I help with the recipe build. I help with all the marketing. I got my logo, my label, my logo on the beer label. So I'm definitely a part of these collaborations. So it, it helps me build my brand, get more experience, learn the business more, build my relationships with these breweries, as well as support great causes. 
And so um, I told you earlier that I was drinking Love Fights Back, which was the first collab that I did with Eagle Rock Brewery. And really, the way this collab came about was um, we were, I was at home, you know, we, the, the, the pandemic had happened. I was at home with my wife and kids, glued to the television, seeing everything happen post uh, George Floyd murder, all the uprising. And, you know, I have black cousins. I have a black transgender male cousin. And I couldn't shake this idea like I'm privileged because I'm a man, a male. Um, I have experienced my own run-ins with police being profiled and, and being har- harassed and what have you. But even, even at that, I'm not a black man. So I'm still privileged to a certain degree. And, and so that, that thought was just like blowing my mind. Like, you know, and I started to worry, like, you know, I wonder how my black friends are doing. I wonder how my black relatives are doing. Like this has got to be so heavy for them right now. I mean, always, right. Just in general. And so I'm sitting there, I'm watching things unfold on TV and I'm like, I got to do, there's something that I could do, you know, more than just tweeting, more than just posting a black square on Instagram or whatever. And so I was like, okay, well, what do I have access to? I, I've spent 20 years in, in music. So I've got this massive music network. I'm now doing beer stuff. So I've got the SoCal and everybody connected to that. So I thought, okay, is there a way for me to bring music and beer together and, and just kind of make some kind of contribution to the cause? And so um, on the beer label for Love Fights Back, you'll see there's a depiction. Well, it's actually his logo. There's a local rapper from Los Angeles called Tumex. He's kind of this like legendary underground rapper. He's been around since the 90s. He has a song called Love Fights Back. And those lyrics, when you think of those lyrics, it's like, it was perfect for, for this thing that I was, this idea that I had or this feeling, if you will. Um, some of the lyrics say like, you know, um, when, when all else fails, love fights back. Anyways, he says that throughout the song, love fights back, love fights back. I um, was thinking about Jeremy and Ting over at Eagle Rock. I shot them in emails like, hey, look, this is what I'm, go- this is what I'm dealing in the moment. I, I think we could do something with beer and with music. There's a song. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? And they were like, you know what, T- Jer- Jeremy, I'm talking to Jeremy here. And he was like, Ting and I have been having the same conversation. Like we're watching the news as well, you know, and this is pretty heavy and we want to do something. And we were thinking about doing some kind of beer to help a, a local nonprofit working in, um, you know, s- social justice. And this was around the time um, Black is Beautiful was happening. So you know, a lot, lot of breweries were having this conversation. And so um, Jeremy and Ting were like, let's do a, a beer collab. And so I brought on two mechs and we called the beer Love Fights Back. We added a QR code to the can and people could scan the QR code and listen to Jeremy, myself, two mechs, basically just talk about what's happening in the world right now, how we feel about it, how we feel we can contribute and we can help make some type of positive change um and proceeds from the beer sales are going to the urban peace and urban peace institute in los angeles which works throughout um underserved communities throughout los angeles and they help with um various social things from like uh health 
to uh, job placement um, and to, you know, just various, various things around social and, and racial justice. And so that beer, you know, doing that, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like we, we brought music together with beer. We're raising money for a nonprofit. This is fun for me. This is right up my alley. I want to continue doing this. And so um, that's what I'm doing right now while I wait to, to release my own uh, commercial beer. That's that, that is not a, a beer raising funds for a nonprofit, but I, as I grow and I scale, I want to, you know, continue to do these projects throughout the life of the business. So that, that's what I'm doing. Sorry for the super long <laughs> answer. No, I love it. So, so more, um, like brewery owners and people working in beer that I talk to, the more aware I am that most, most brewery people that I talk to are trying to give back to the community in some way. And I, it's just so inspiring. While we wrap up, uh, let us know anything happening new with the so-called Cerveceros now that we're slowly getting out of quarantine and where we can find you, Norwalk Brewhouse, so-called Cerveceros, on the internet and in real life. So with the SoCal Service Settles, we are itching to get back to in-person meetings. Uh, we've been virtual the entire year that we've been in the pandemic. We don't know how soon we will be able to all be together again in the same place. But I can say that as far as Coachella is concerned, we are looking at 2022, the summer of 2022. And uh, again, our partner for that is the Gumball Foundation. So we kind of work um, together to produce this festival. And um, right now we are talking, well, not we, but the director of Gumball has a couple of venues that he was he was talking to before the pandemic happened. So um, hopefully we, we can announce pretty soon um, where the next Coachella will be. But that is looking like summer 2022. Granted, we don't see another, you know, uptick in pandemic cases and things like that, or COVID cases, rather. Um, hopefully, this is, you know, as we close 2021, we also close the door on COVID moving forward. So looking forward to that. As far as SoCal Cervecitos, we are still accepting new members. People are joining monthly, which is great. Even we start, we grew even during the pandemic, which is crazy to me. But we're growing fast continually. We just celebrated five years last year <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, we were hoping to have a big old celebration at Coachella, but, you know, didn't happen. We don't know when we're going to be able to meet again in person, but hopefully soon. Um, no, but we, we're, the, the board talks about this often. Uh, we get asked the question often, you know, when are we going to have a bottle share? When are we going to have a brew day? When are we going to get together? And and we really, really want to, but we still need to be safe. You know, unfortunately, we've had some members, had family members who passed who passed away from COVID. One of our members was uh, really sick in the hospital. Close call there. But luckily, um, that was the extent of it. And as far as I know, everybody else has been okay. But uh, our members are super busy. You're super busy. You're a member. So, you know, more podcasts, more interviews are on the way uh, from you, from Brewed Up. And there's other people, uh, again, like I mentioned, there's a couple breweries that are doing their build out. One of them is La Bodega Brewing Company in Whittier, 
in Whittier, in the city of Whittier, we have Brewing Crew Alehouse and Salinas. They're in the middle of their brew out. They're not in LA. They're still members, but they're in Salinas. So if you're ever in Central California, you could check them out. And me, Norwalk Brewhouse, again, I'm waiting to get licensed. Once that is in place, I will be releasing my first beer, hopefully before the year is over. SoCal Cerveceros, find us on Instagram at SoCal Cerveceros. You can also follow the SoCal Cerveceras. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Find us as well as Norwalk Brewhouse, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Go find me. Lori Gutierrez. I live in South Los Angeles and I'm the vice president of SoCal Cerveceros. I first heard about the Cerveceros about four or five years ago from a friend. She was like, there's these group of homebrewers. And at the time I was making cider and thought, whoa, a club? That sounds cool. So I was looking around at clubs, didn't really um, act on it. And then I connected with the president, Ray Rivera, and he said, you should come check us out. And I did the first meeting was really great. The vibe was exactly what I wanted, and I'm so glad I did. That was about three years ago. I think any homebrew club, what they're going to provide for you is a community. And when you're in a community, you can network. That's when you can learn, you can engage, and you can like evolve on your own. I do not think I would be the you know, the brewer that I am if it wasn't for the SoCal Cerveceros because the environment was so inclusive and diverse. And I think for me and for a lot of people, that's kind of the best environment for, for me to thrive in or for me to learn in. It's great to be able to connect with people, ask questions. We have a Slack social media network platform where we just can connect with each other. It's an app on our phones. And basically, any time of the day, you can ask a brewing question and you might get anywhere between one and 18 answers. It's really, really great. And then also, of course, all the all the cheese may, the gossip and getting together for meetings and sharing homebrew. That's the best. I think SoCal Cerveceros for me was different just because the group leads with the diversity inclusion piece. I'm white. I'm not Latina. But I did feel very comfortable within the group because um, that's the environment, like I said, that I thrive the most in, an inclusive environment that's respectful of women, respectful of, of people with other views. Like I said, I was making cider. All these guys were making beers, and they welcomed me with open arms. So it was just like a really great connection. Tyler Sadler. I am co-host of Brewed Up Podcast, a podcast about homebrewing and craft beer that I co-host with Lori Gutierrez. Um, and I'm also in SoCal Cerveceros. So what I do in beer, wow, there's so many things. So like I mentioned before, I do the podcast, Brewed Up Podcast with Lori Gutierrez. I am in a homebrew club called SoCal Cerveceros, which was primarily a Latino-based 
Homebrew Club started about five years ago. Currently, it is super diverse. Men, women, people of all races, colors, etc., and backgrounds. I also work full-time at a homebrew supply store called Simi Valley Homebrew Shop. There's a few more things, but I would say that's generally the main things. And then obviously, I, I am just a a passionate home brewer at home. I love home brewing and uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. My role in SoCal Cerveceros is I am currently the director of membership on the board of directors. So basically my main role is to keep track of everyone as much as I can um, with dues, try and get people involved, just try and stay um, organized and uh, just for myself, stay active and be a voice and someone that members of our club can go to and ask questions, etc. In terms of where I'm based in LA, I am in the San Fernando Valley, specifically in Reseda. I've actually lived up here since I graduated from college in 2012. So yeah, I love the valley and I have no intention of leaving anytime soon. I've been a member of SoCal Cervecedos now for, I would say, almost three years. Um, I was invited via Instagram DM by Ray uh, Ricky Rivera, who is our current our current president. He, I guess, saw that I had followed the page and just literally directly reached out to me, saying that I was a woman and a woman of color, and he is very avid about you know, having more women in the club, having more people of color in the club, and was just like, hey, come to our next meeting at Boomtown. Kind of just sucked it up and went all by myself. It was really great. That's where I met Ray, Lori, Mamo, a lot of my closest friends in the club, and uh, the rest is history. So that was how I got started in the club. In terms of how it's played a part in my home brewing journey and professional journey, I would say I would definitely not be the home brewer I am today without SoCal Cerveceros. I mean, the club is huge. We have a huge member base, a lot of people involved and active, and a lot of people brewing. I mean, veteran brewers, new brewers, and we've got this Slack channel that is open to everyone, and you can just ask all the questions you can or you want. Um, people are very open to answering questions, which is cool. And a lot of people, obviously right now it's a little different, but a lot of people back then were like, yeah, come over, come to my brew days. And so I went to a ton of brew days back in the day. I learned a lot from people that are local to me in the Valley. Learned a lot just from asking questions as I started to know more people in the club in my early days, just hitting them up on Instagram. And obviously when we're having in-person meetings, getting feedback on my homebrew, which was, you know, heartbreaking, but also fun. But it's like constructive criticism is one of those things in any creative art form that is going to make you better. And I think it has definitely helped me to become the brewer I am today. In terms of professionally, I mean, I work at a homebrew store now. I think my passion for homebrewing that was built from being in the club uh, made me even consider working full-time in the homebrewing industry. It seemed like a crazy idea a year ago, but I've since now been working. I started part-time at Simi Valley a year ago, and now I'm working full-time as of this year. It definitely helped push me into the mindset of like, yeah, this is something you love, make it a career. 
and just go for it. And the opportunity presented itself and I'm glad it did because now I'm super happy at my job. I would definitely recommend joining a homebrew club to women, uh, learning to brew, especially, I mean, I'm just going to plug SoCal Cerveceros because we do make a point in making it known that we will wholeheartedly accept anyone and everyone. I'm not saying that other homebrew clubs are, you know, anti-female. No, definitely not. I just say like our club in particular is incredibly open to women and we've got a bunch that are part of the, the club. Um, we even have our own separate thing called SoCal Cerveceras and a group of fantastic women. But yeah, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's clubs all around the country, all around the world. I would say definitely join homebrew clubs in particular should be that that resource for information, um, education. We have a ton of educational seminars that we that we do. Even over COVID, we had a lot of heavy hitters in the industry come and like talk to us about brewing and specific um, niche parts of brewing. We've had a bunch of breweries on that we got to learn a lot from and ask questions. And it's a, it's a network of people who are working in the industry. I mean, we've got members that are oh, that own breweries and that I've hired um, members and we have members that work at breweries etc work at homebrew stores that own homebrew stores and so we've got a huge network of professional um, people in the industry that um, can provide like you know resource jobs potentially etc so um, yeah I would say I would say SoCal Cerveceros is is a huge resource and Hopefully most clubs, you know, geared towards getting that way. I know we are unique in that we are massive and we are super spread out. But, you know, I think it's I think it's a, a good goal to have as a homebrew club to create that that community and that network and that resource. So drinking beer, it makes you happy. It makes me happy too. It's true. Thanks for listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on your preferred streaming platform. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Beer is like sunshine for the belly. Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandsban on Instagram. If you're looking for some homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus more one-on-one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. Now, I really need a drink. I'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to support your local craft brewery. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.